If you didn't bring a Bible with you this evening, hold your hand up real high. The ushers have extra Bibles. We'll be glad to let you use one. Turn to Luke chapter 16, please. Now, if you're holding your hand up at your house there by internet, we can't help you out on that. But just believe God and you'll get one. Luke 16. Luke 16, we begin a few weeks back on a new series on Friday night. We're calling One Master. One Master. And I want us to continue on with this this evening. And uh, you're going to believe with me, right? For utterance, for direction. In Luke 16 and verse 10, Jesus said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or despise He'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. Why? Because just think about what master means. Master means the supreme authority. If there's a supreme authority, then all the others are under it. There can only be one head. How many heads of the church are there? Absolutely just one. Jesus, right? He's the King of kings, Lord of lords. And how do you get born again? By believing that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And you confess what? Jesus is. See, he could have said a lot of other things. He could have said, Jesus is Savior. That's not what he said. Jesus is Redeemer. No, no. Jesus is what? Lord. 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 That is the supreme place of authority. There is none above. And there is none equal with. There's none equal with. And everything in the kingdom works that way. The kingdom of God is not democratic. And things are not done by popular vote or by majority. (laughs) They're not. That's not how it operates. It's, you know, the Father, Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit through the church, those that he's called, anointed and appointed. And there is a structure of authority in the church. Now, here he says, you can't serve two masters. How many believe will accept what the Lord said about that? You, you cannot do it with two. And you're going to get into a place where it's irritating you trying to do it. Because one's going to be getting in the way of the other. And he goes on to say, keep reading the next. He said, you can't serve God and mammon. Now, the word mammon is money and things personified. It's money as a God. It's riches 
possessions, that kind of thing, as a God. Now, is that an issue? Are a lot of people try to serve money and things and possession? Oh, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. The next verse says, The Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. They mocked him and slandered him and spoke disrespectfully to him. And the reason was, this was for them. The Spirit of God is telling them, you can't serve God and money and stuff. And here they are, the leaders of the synagogue. They are the guys with the degrees in theology. They are the ministers. And the Bible said they're what? Covetous. Covetous. And obviously, they're trying to serve two masters, money and God. And he told them, you can't do it. Verse 15. You are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Does God have a different value set from the world? Well, which value set do you want? Hmm? I've prayed this prayer many times. I, I want to lead you in it right now. Say it out loud. Father God. Help me me to see things things the way you see them them. and value things the the way you value. value. I want your priorities priorities to be my priorities. priorities. What you see is precious precious. that I would hold precious. precious. What you despise despise. that I would despise. despise. Open my eyes. Help me to see it. Help me to get it in Jesus' name. Amen. You believe he'll answer that prayer for you? He will. He will. But now as you do, you're going to be out of sync with the world around you. Because what they think so important, you're going to despise. And what they despise, you're going to hold as all important. Now, uh, Go with me back to the 12th chapter of Luke. And let's go further with this. He said you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon is money and things as a God. Now money can be a a useful servant. But it's an evil master. And it's a lousy God. How many think money is a lousy God? People who are loving money and loving stuff, is it ever going to love them back? Never. It's a lousy God and it's an evil master, but many without, they might not say that they are, but they are serving it. In the 12th chapter of Luke, just right here close by, Jesus had already been talking about these things. When he said in Luke 12 and verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. This is uh, like everything the master said, so significant. 
So important. And the very next thing he tells the story of the man who was rich, whose crops brought forth super abundantly. And he said, what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger. I'll say to myself, man, you got it made. You are set for many years. And uh, the word of the Lord came to him, you fool. You're going to die tonight. And all this stuff that you're thinking and planning about, who's going to wind up with it? What's it going to matter? I mean, if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, what did he do? And so we should have a different mentality than the ungodly unbelievers round about us. They act like they think this is all there is. And so success down here is all that matters. And so people are measuring their life by what they have. How are you doing? Man, they're doing good. They got a new house. They 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 got a new car. They're, they, they got money in the bank. They got investments. Well, your life does not consist of that. That alone does not tell you you're having a good life. Now, we know we need some things and we need some stuff. And if you've been around here very long, you know we believe in, in having good. Plenty. Top notch. But money's not the problem with God. It's the love of it. And it's the trust of it. And it's the serving it. Can you see this, friends? And that is a giant issue. And getting it in the right place is a big deal with him. So he said, look at it again, verse 15. Jesus said, take heed and beware. How would you say that in different words? <laughs> Watch out. Caution. There's a danger here of what? Covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Go with me to 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, please. 1 Timothy 6 refers to the idea we were just talking about. Jesus said, your life doesn't consist in all the stuff you have. That doesn't tell you that your, your life is good and right just because you got a lot of stuff or money. There are some people that have billions that are miserable tonight. Because a lot of times people that don't have anything can imagine if they had it They'd be fulfilled and satisfied. But if you get it and you're still empty and dissatisfied, then what do you got to look forward to? But the thing is, it can't, money and stuff cannot fulfill you. It can't. People try it. There are people that are addicted to spending like people are addicted to drinking or drugs. They buy stuff and spend crazy amounts of money and stuff they don't have because it gives them a sense of euphoria. And then after their little brief high, they hit a super low. When they realize they got all this junk, they don't even want it. They got nowhere to put it. And now they don't have money to pay for it. Or even if they do have money to pay for it, it's just, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fulfill. Because it can't. I said it can't. Because you are a spirit being. 
created in the image and likeness of God. There's only one thing that will satisfy you. And that's knowing him and doing his will. That's the only thing that will satisfy you or me or any, any human being on the planet. And until you find that out and quit trying to fill those voids with something else, you'll be miserable. You'll be miserable. You'll be unhappy, unfulfilled. In 1 Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6, he says, talk about individuals, he said that are, verse 5, that are, have corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. Now you know we believe in prosperity and plenty and abundance, but that's not all you're supposed to talk about all the time. Right? That's not, you're not supposed to be talking about that all the time and nothing else. That's not what you're supposed to have on your mind all the time. And if the only thing you think about when you think of God is money and stuff, then you're off. He says, those supposing that gain is godliness. You know, the more stuff you get, that don't necessarily mean that you're blessed. We don't know how you got that stuff. Right? I mean, there's, there's people that don't know God that's got a lot of stuff. It's not just what you got, it's how you got there. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. You don't need to fellowship with covetous people. Now, there's more than one verse in the New Testament that tells you not to. Why? Because it's contagious. It'll get on you. If the only thing they ever want to talk about is the most expensive jewelry or the clothes or the big house. If that's all they ever want to talk about, you want to limit your time around them. Now, last time we talked about this from Hebrews, the Bible said, let your lifestyle in Hebrews be free from covetousness and be content with such things as you have. That doesn't mean that you can't believe for something nice, but it means you don't postpone your contentment until you get it. Because we've already talked about it can't fulfill you. It can't satisfy you. And the contentment, that word means sufficient within yourself. If you're not sufficient within yourself in God... You're certainly not going to be when you get the new house or the new car. It's not going to fulfill you spiritually. It can't. It's a material thing. It's a natural thing. How can it fulfill you spiritually? It can't. So the test to see are you covetous or not, and I'm talking about believers, I'm talking about church going people, I'm talking about Bible toting. Confession making people, right? Is if you're content or not. If you can't be content, if you're not satisfied until you get this or have this or can do this, then there's a degree of covetousness in your life. And it's evil. It's bad. We're going to uh, Timothy actually on the way. You could stop by. In Colossians 3 verse 1. If you be risen with Christ, 
Are you risen with Christ? Yeah. When he was raised, we were raised with him. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Did you remember the Bible said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Where's your heart? My heart's in heaven. (laughs) What do you mean? That's where the master is. Huh? That's where our future is. Now we know his presence is here by the Holy Spirit. But he's, you know, physically and spiritually there. At the right hand of the Father. And this is the briefest thing we'll ever do. We should not live down here like this is all that matters. Or like this is going to go on like this forever. It's not. What about all the people that lived in the 1600s? Where are they? How many of them still knocking around? Not a one. Not a one. 1700s. Huh? 1800s. What about in a few years? About all the folks that's alive now. The Lord tears is coming. Not a one of us will be here. But those who are born again and their citizenship is in heaven will be with him. Is that right? That's our future. Is that where your treasure is? Come on, is that where your treasure is? And everything that we're, we're doing now should be with a mind towards that. That we're using our time, our resources, our talents, our abilities, our connections, our opportunities toward doing what we're supposed to do to advance the kingdom, to be a part of the church, to do what he's called us to do. That's where we're headed. Verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, several years ago, I saw this and I changed my vocabulary, particularly concerning the word love. I saw that I ought not use that word on anything down here. I love God. I love Phyllis. I love you, people. I love the church. I don't love cars. I don't love pizza. I don't love pie. Come on, are y'all listening? I don't love football. I can enjoy something, but I don't love it. And it's important that I not only talk that way, but I be that way. And changing your mouth will help you if you need to make some adjustments. Catch yourself. It's not just a, not just being technical about what you say. Next thing you say, ooh, I just love my new... Go, no, <laughs> I don't love it. I enjoy it. I appreciate it. I'm thankful for it. But I don't love it. Because you're not supposed, we're not supposed to have our affections down here. And on temporary, you know, stuff that's fading away, rusting and rotting, passing away, down here. Whoever had a car that loved them back? <laughs> oh, yeah, Brother Keith, my little baby, she just, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, it's steel and rubber. It does not know you. 
And it will never love you back. It's a thing. And if you love it, you're being foolish. You shouldn't love a house. It's timber. One of these days it's going to be gone. And it'll never love you back. Never. Say it out loud. I don't love cars. I don't love houses. I don't love jewelry. I don't love things. What do we do? We set our affection on things above, not on things down here, on God, on his people. Use the word love advisedly. He said, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When we're born again, that should have been a death sentence to this life. We're born again, born from above, and from that point on, we should not be thinking our whole focus is having a good life down here, being a success down here, retiring comfortably down here, and all those things. You're going to be down here about that much longer. There is no such thing as set for life. You're talking about set for the next 20 minutes. God time. And the important thing is what are we doing with this precious time? Are we wasting it only on things that nobody will know about or care about a thousand years from now? Or are we spending it wisely, redeeming the time, doing things? How many believe everything that is done at the direction of the Holy Spirit and done in faith and done in love It's forever. Anything you do to obey him in any part, the smallest part, in affecting the kingdom, his church, preaching the gospel, it is forever. Forever. Money spent on temporary things down here, it's gone. That's it. It's done. Money helping somebody, money Preaching the gospel, money, building the kingdom, that's forever. It'll never fade. It'll never go away. Never. We don't really have an idea what that means. Eon upon eon upon eon. Age after age, it will still exist. It'll still matter. People will still know about it. Thank you, Lord. He said, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now as a result of these truths and knowing this and thinking like this, verse 5, mortify, therefore your members. That means kill it. That's where we get our word mortician and, and that kind of thing from. It has to do with death. Your members which are upon the earth, fornication. Why would you be In fornication. Because you're living for now. And your affections are on now. And you believe you only go around once in life. And you're grabbing everything you can get. While you can get it. Because you're only young once. And who knows when I'll have this opportunity again. And so you're only living for now. And here. 
and flesh. Uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, that has to do with desiring things you ought not be desiring, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now this is the very same thing that Jesus was talking about when he said you can't serve two masters, you can't serve God and mammon. You're going to serve something. We are made to worship and serve. And people who say they are not religious, who don't believe in God, are worshiping something. Aren't they? They are. Think about the word worship. Let me give you some some of the definition of it. The word worship, uh, among other things, means to revere. It means to adore. And it means to be devoted to. Now, are there people who wouldn't go, dare go to church, but they adore something? They adore it. Are they devoted to it? Spend every spare moment, every spare dollar on it. Do they revere it? They talk about it with such glowing adulation. Do you know why? That's their God. And if it's anything other than the God, it's idolatry. I think sometimes people have thought, well, you know, idolatry was a big problem way back there in the Old Testament. But thank God we've kind of outgrown that. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Idolatry is every bit the problem today that it ever was. There are millions upon millions of people praying to statues tonight. Did you know this? Oh, man, there's idolatry is rampant. And the sad thing It's rampant in this country, our country, the U.S. People are praying to and worshiping false gods. How many believe that's a serious thing in the eyes of the Lord? We need to pray for mercy. Continued mercy to be in the Old Testament. They got judged, didn't they? They got judged for worshiping and praying to idols. And they were turned over into the hands of their enemies who conquered them. Because they rejected the one true God. They're serving these other things. So even though people would consider themselves not religious at all. Covetousness is idolatry. Are we still talking about one master? One ma- You can't serve two things. Why do a lot of people not come to church on Sunday? Because they worship boating. They worship fishing. They worship sports. Something they worship, cars, racing. It doesn't mean you can't be a believer and fish or boat or race, but it cannot be number one in your life. It cannot take the time. I mean, why is Sunday morning during church time the only time you can go fishing or golfing or whatever? The problem is, It's way more important to you than the things of God. If that's what you practice habitually. And how many know there are millions of confessing Christians. They might go to church once a month. Maybe what they say Easter and Christmas, right? But what they're trying to do is serve two gods. 
They got something else that they adore, that they revere, that they're devoted to. And they wouldn't even think about giving a thousand dollar offering at the church. Are you kidding me? But they spent $50,000 last year on their hobby. (laughs) And they get all upset if somebody talks about tithing or something like that. The problem is they're an idolater. They have another God. It's the one they give their time to. And the one they think about all the time. The one they talk about all the time. Isn't that what Phyllis was talking about? That, That, you know, she and I dealt with this. And thank God by the mercy and grace of God. Got it settled. We know who our God is. We got one God. One Lord. His things are number one. Anything else is not a close second. It's a far distant second. And when it comes time to do His things, it doesn't matter what other little hobby or interest we have. Those have to wait. Those Take a back seat and maybe don't even get to them. If you get to them, okay. If you don't, okay. Because they're not important. They're temporary flash in the pan down here stuff. And our affection should not be on it. Somebody said out loud, I do not worship stuff down here. I have one Lord. One Lord. His things come first. Serving Him comes first. Jesus is Lord. My Lord. My Lord. Skip on over to 1 Timothy. Now you were heading that way, you remember? You're going to 1 Timothy 6. Before we got excited about Colossians again. 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. And down about verse 5. We started into this. And let's continue. He said those that suppose. That gain is godliness. They equate. Accumulation. And increase of money and stuff. With godliness. They're saying that is godliness. And it's not. What did Jesus say? Our life does not consist. It's not made up. In the abundance of the things we have. That doesn't tell us how well we're doing in life. How well we're doing in life. Depends on how well we know him. And how well we're doing. What he's called us to do. The plan. Now. He said withdraw yourself from folks. Like that. But godliness with what? There's that word again. You'll keep seeing it through the New Testament. Why? Because. It's so easy. You don't have to labor over this. How can you tell you're not covetous? Come on, help me out. You're content. When? Now. Right where you are. Whether you're living in a a one-bedroom efficiency or a 20-room mansion, whether you have a brand-new Bentley, or you're riding a used bicycle. I can't be satisfied. I I just can't rest and I can't be content. You see people that can't travel, they can't visit. Why? Because I'm just, I'm I'm uncomfortable. Listen, when you know God, you can have peace and joy anywhere 
in any circumstances, around anybody, anytime. Come on, are you listening? Your peace and contentment and joy is not determined by what's going on outside. It's based on what's happening inside. And you are complete in him. Come on, somebody say it. I am complete in him. Here's a revelation. It's not your spouse that completes you. It's not your kids that completes you. It's certainly not your new car or clothes or jewelry or house that completes you. It's not your education. It's not the success in your job. It's not getting that promotion and getting that corner office on the 15th floor. That will complete you. Oh, it might put a smile on your face. You can throw a celebration party. But then two weeks from then, when you're laying down to go to bed, something in you will say, is this all there is? Because it's not enough. And you can always be looking for something else. But nothing out here can complete you. Nothing outside you can complete you. Impossible. Because you're not just an outside being. You're not just a material, physical being. You're not just a mental, emotional being. You are a spirit being made in the likeness and image of the Almighty. And the only thing that can complete you is Him. Him on the inside. Somebody said it again. I am complete in Him. Do you know it will set you so free when you quit looking to other people to complete you. When you quit looking to things to complete. When you quit that. And you find contentment inside in him. Instead of being needy. Do you enjoy folks being needy around you all the time? I just need more from you. I just. You owe me. Does that bless you? <laughs> you, just, you need to give me more time. You, you need to be, make me more your focus, more, more your attention. No, 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 you don't. No. You need to realize no one, nothing will ever complete you inside except him. Said another time, I am complete in him. Notice what he said, godliness with contentment is what? It's not just getting a bunch of stuff that's great gain. It's being in God and him being in you and having a peace that passes understanding. Come on, are you listening? Even in the middle of a storm, facing death, having that peace that passes understanding, having that joy. That the world didn't give and the world can't take away. That's what makes you complete. That's what anchors your soul. That's what makes you a rock. A rock. And an overcomer. In this life and in this world. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. Did you? How many brought something with you when you came? Let me see. Even a little bitty thing. What'd you bring? You didn't bring a thing. 
And like one fellow said, you never saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Why? You can't. Uh, there have been people that have been buried with their jewelry, buried with their car. <laughs> well, they weren't there when they buried the body. <laughs> and that car, in a few more days, is going to melt with fervent heat with everything else down here. None of it's going to exist. So worshiping it like it's your life is what? It's so foolish. How many think a car is a lousy God? I know. Uh, now, I've always enjoyed cars. I grew up in the South and uh, over in, in central rural Mississippi, the closest tiny town was 15, 20 miles away. I mean, when I say sticks, I mean sticks. We're country. And I, I think it's great. I like it. To this day, I like it. We thought Duke's a Hazard was a documentary. <laughs> I had cousins that did exactly what the, I, I'm not kidding. They had a Charger. My cousin had a Super B. That's about the only difference. Only it didn't turn out the way it did in the movies. He come flying over a hill at midnight with some stolen goods in the back doing 140. And they had a roadblock at the bottom and they all died. Crashed and died. But man, we lived and some of them died by the hot rod. Cars were big. And so every dime I made, I, you know, Phyllis told you she worked. I worked when I was 13, full time. Well, you know, that many hours after school, 40 hours. And uh, so getting our hot rods. I mean, I got a Mustang. I got a Camaro. And I got this and that. And, and, and poor, you know, we hardly had anything. But some way or another, we got a piece of an old car. And then we made it better and made it better. And I had some cousins that were racers. And so they had some connections. Get me some parts here and there. And when we left Mississippi in that trailer that she showed you, I had that 37 Ford. That was my project. And um, I had a good job at that time. And every extra penny we had went in that car. <laughs> and Phyllis was very gracious. She understood. Of course, she grew up around there too. She understood. This is important. I got a 37 Ford Coupe. All original body. All the steel is there. It's not rusted down. Primo. I built a board and stroked small block with every piece, roller rockers, I mean, you name it. We built the transmission. We built, I'd spend a whole afternoon on an alternator bracket, sandblasting it, painting it, powder coating it. And it wasn't blessed. <laughs> After, what was it, two and a half years, Phil? 
working on it there. Every weekend, I'm going to the neighboring larger city where my cousins were that raced to work on a head or to get some valve springs or to whatever it is. And I got it. Now, it's not completed, but I got my engine and drive train, and it's running. I drove to work in it. Oh, man. It sits there and makes motor music. And so the boys say, get on it. Get on it. It's just brand new. I just put it together. And of course, we, we had a mentality, if a lot was good, more is better. <laughs> I had to oil. We, we had a high volume, high pressure oil pump. We decided to shim it and put bigger springs in it to really have oil pressure. And so I gassed it. And it blew the oil filter right off. <laughs> Dumped all the oil in the middle of the street. Oh, man. Not very nice. So we pushed it off on the side of the road. And in just a few weeks, something else happened. Uh, and it dropped a valve and destroyed those two years of work. I parked it in the front yard. That's where you saw it. It was <laughs> in that picture. It was parked in the, and that was about the time the Lord had gotten a hold of us. And I realized I have spent entirely too much time on this stuff. I'm devoted to it. I adore it. Is that a problem? Tell me why it is. It's an idol. It's an idol. You don't want to say it. But you're worshiping something else more than. It's not like I was in church all the time I was doing this. I wasn't putting a fraction of the money into the things of God I was putting into that. I I just knew in my heart, Keith, you, you need to make some changes. You need to walk away from this and just not even look at it. Just leave it. And go, so I don't care if the thing rusts down to the ground. And over the next year or two, I sold it for pennies on the dollar for parts. I needed to get away from it and get rid of it. Not that it's wrong to have a nice little car, a hot rod. It's just I had spent entirely too much time and thoughts. It was too big a part of my life. Well, how many years was it, Phil? It was several years. Several years later. A deal came up where I could get a nice uh, sports car. It was a Corvette. It was used, but it was uh, nice. We're there. We had not, I hadn't even thought about cars for years. And uh, I just put it out of my mind and just focused on the kingdom of God only, like what Phyllis was talking about. Well, we got it. And I always like to take care of my stuff. And uh, I'm washing it, and I'm polishing it, and I'm waxing it. I'm, I remember distinctly, the Lord had given us a little house up there in Broken Air. I'm out in the driveway. The boys came over to see it from neighboring boys. And I used it as a witnessing tool. They, they said, man, that's a Corvette. That's your Corvette? I said, yeah. And one of the neighbors said, he's a preacher. <laughs> they said, you a preacher? I said, yeah. I said, that's a church-going car. <laughs> That car's been to church so many times, you pull out the driveway, it automatically almost turns towards the church. <laughs> and I talked to him, basically, you know, you can serve God and have some nice things, was the kind of thing I was talking about. But during the course of these next weeks and months, I was out there for the nth time, washing it and polishing it, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, if you don't quit spending so much time with this thing, I'm going to regret I let you have it. I dropped the rag. 
I thought, I'm sorry, Lord. It's, I'll, I'll change it immediately. He wanted me to not have a distraction. How many understand what we're talking about tonight? You, you've got to have things. You either don't need them in your life or you've got to have them where they're not too important to you. And sometimes you need not having it for a while and, and get that fixed. And some things you just need to stay away from, period. But uh, he's talking about that here. We brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothes, let us be what? There it is again. He keeps saying content. Are you content? Right here. Right now. Are you? Are you sure? I know you got some things on your vision list. I want you to be believing. I want you to have a vision. I want you to be reaching and stretching, especially for the kingdom. You can also enjoy some personal things too. But we're not postponing our contentment and peace until some later day when we get it or when we do it because we are right now complete in him and that makes us content. We got peace that passes understanding. I don't have to have one more dollar to be content. I don't have to have one more thing to be content. Content now. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Got food, got clothes, got Jesus. I'm happy. <laughs> Verse 9, they that will be rich. Now, if you look this up in the original words and other translations, you'll see they that are, are bent on it. That this is an obsession. It's your goal in life to be rich. What's going to happen? You're going to fall into temptations and snares and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, before this is over, there's some really important things we need to get to. We're certainly not going to get to it all tonight. But there are some things that the enemy has been deceiving the church and robbing the church in for decade after decade after decade in this generation, it's rampant. And uh, you and God's given us some things right now in this series. He is actually unmasking a part of the enemy's character and operations for us. I can see where we're started, where we're going in some of this. And you're going to know more about how the enemy works than you ever have before. And you're going to spot him coming a mile away on some things in the future. And some things that maybe you thought were just natural, you're going to find out they're spiritual. And the enemy's behind it, and you're going to see his nature and the way he thinks and operates. And when you see it, I'll just brace you for this, you may find some of it in you. And when you do, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Get it out and get free of every vestige of covetousness and idolatry. Because that will also take away any hook that he has to deceive and mislead. Do you see this, friends? 
Read it again here. They that will be rich, those that are set on, bent on being rich, and that's more important to them than anything else, they're going to fall into all kind of temptations and snares and troubles and problems. Many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For, verse 10, the love of money is the root of all, actually the literal it says evils, plural. Now, isn't that what we just got through talking about? It's a root. What is a root? A root is an unseen thing that's connected, isn't it? To what's seen, and it's what this thing is getting its fuel from through the root. Love of money is covetousness. And it is a connector to all kinds of evil. Which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith. Now, these are people who were in the faith, but it pulled them away. We've seen person after person. We've seen ministers that had nothing, that committed everything and served God and begin to get a little prosperity, begin to get a little this or that and get obsessed with it and focus on it and talk about it night and day. Less praying, less studying because it's a gradual thing. You don't always see it. But what's happened, you're beginning to do this. You're going away from what God's called you to and the people that he's joined you to and the ministry and the things that are important. Can you see this? They've what? Erred. Erred. Means you took the wrong exit. You, you took a wrong turn. You, you're going the wrong way. Erred from the faith. What was the end of it? Pierced through with many sorrows. I'm thinking right now, I see faces of people I know that have lost their ministries. 20 years ago, had an outstanding church and was a great light in the city. Now, no, it's all gone. Why? Got obsessed with big houses and BMWs. And and it's not that you can't have a nice place. We got nice places. But they can't mean too much to you. You can't have houses in your heart. House is something you use for a little while. And that's one thing. Thank God the Lord has helped us with. We left Mississippi. And then we left Tulsa. And then we decided we could go back and forth between Branson and here. You, I mean, know what I'm talking about. And if he says something else, in your heart, I don't care if you got a hundred acre mansion. In your heart, you ought to always live in a tent. Tents can be struck overnight. In your heart, you got to always got to live in a tent. Why? Because I am not my own. My life is not my own. We are to go where we are sent and we are to stay where we are stationed. And if the Lord gives us new orders, then it doesn't matter what kind of stuff we got sitting on the ground or what kind of plans we had. But if that root of that love of that stuff is in you, it's like a hook in you that the enemy can work on and it pulls you. And, and a lot of times folks don't realize it, but they decided not to do this because it interfered with this. And they decided they couldn't help on the team or in the church because it was on this day when they do this. 
And little by little, these things keep adding up until then you just don't go every week and you don't go every month and you hadn't got time for this. Why? Because your time's all time. You got a new God. You got a new God. People wouldn't say it. But if it's taken up ten times the time and resources that God is, how's he your God? They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto you are called and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. Skip down to verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not what? High-minded. What's the big problem? The next phrase is the big problem. Nor what? Trust. What if you're trusting? And see... You're trusting in your investments, in your hobbies to make you happy, to complete you, to secure your future. Then that's a replacement for God as your provider, as your joy, as your peace, as your contentment. It's a replacement. It's an idol. And he said, don't trust in that stuff. Temporary. Fading away. Rusting right now. Rotting right now. Especially out here in the salt air. (laughs) Say it out loud. Very, very temporary. (laughs) Now how much stuff are we talking about? Everything. Everything that's around you. From what's on your back and your feet and your hands. And what you're going to ride home in. Sleep in. Say it out loud again. Very, very temporary. Do you love it? Are you devoted to it? Do you adore it? Do you praise it and think about it and speak with adulating phrases ten times more than you ever do God? Or the thing, huh? Huh? No, no, a thousand times no. It's just stuff. A lot of it's junk. God is my God. He's everlasting. He matters. He's my joy. He's my peace. What we're singing about. He's everything. He's everything. He's everything. But it doesn't mean you have to live a completely poverty stricken life. Look at the rest of it. Don't trust in your uncertain riches. But trust in what? In the living God. Who will keep you so broke. What? No, who does what? Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. You can enjoy better than you've had. You can give more than you ever have. You you can have more and do more than you ever have. But how many know the more God lets flow through your hands, the more titles you have, that ought to be the more you remind yourself, this is not really what's important. My life does not consist of this. It's coming, it's going. 
All of it will soon be gone. I won't take a stick of this with me. It's only good to use right now. Very, very temporary. But my heart, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. My heart is not in some goofy car or house or thing. My heart is in him. And he's on my mind. And he's what I talk about and I think about. And look at him and his, him and his, him and his people, his things, and him and his kingdom, and him and the gospel, and him and his kids. Because you're doing something for his kids, you're doing something for him. He takes it personally, right? And that's what we love. That's where our our affection is on. Somebody say, thank you, Master. Stand on your feet. That's, That's plenty for right now. Oh, let's lift up our hearts, lift up our hands, lift up our voices. Tell him out of your mouth that he's everything to you. He's most important. Oh, Father, I worship you. Father, I give you the glory and praise due unto your name. No one's like you. No one's above you. No one's equal to you. You have the highest place. In my heart and mind. You have the highest place. In my life. Hallelujah. Phyllis would you come please. Just lift up your hands everybody. Just lift up your hands. And your voice. Tell him. Tell him out of your own mouth. Out of your own heart. He has the greatest place of all. Oh Father we worship you. Lord we give you glory. Come on, lift up your hands. Lord, we give you praise and thanks. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, we worship you, we worship you. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.